0: You're listening to the What Do You Actually Do podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview, a useful tip or encouraging message to help you find your place in the professional world. Hello and welcome to this episode of What Do You Actually Do? My name's Kate Morris and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about working in law. Today, we're joined by Alex Stuart moreno who's a trainee solicitor with law firm Norton Rose Fulbright. So Alex, what do you actually do?
1: So I'm a trainee, as you already introduced. Um, I'm in my first seat, so it's the first six-month rotation um, out of four. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a a two-year path to to qualification.
0: So do you get to choose these rotations, or do you have to kind of just do what you're told?
1: Uh, There's an element of choice. Um, I mean, depending on the firm, I know NRF, for example, is quite big on banking, um, so we we always have to do at least one banking seat. And I think the, the usual rule is at least one corporate seat. There's a bit more flexibility after that. Um, so most people choose to do an international secondment, which is somewhat in the air this year, as you can imagine. Yeah. Or um, a client's convent, which those two tend to be a bit more of a, kind of a career push. So if you've done a banking seat, you might sit with uh, a bank, for example, as they're in-house and disputes litigation tends to be a choice um, but you you have to do kind of something of the kind even if it's a just a training course in it but to be honest with these big firms there's always going to be an element of of competition for seats so it it is subject to demand there is an element of luck in it i suppose and I, i pity the people who have to allocate everyone to to their respective seats because i know they get put under a lot of pressure to try and meets everybody's hopes dreams and career aspirations but you you do kind of put down what areas what teams what departments you want to be in Um, so there is definitely an element of choice in there
0: and do you kind of use this as an opportunity to test out the different areas or do you already have a bit of an idea about where you want to specialize uh sort of following the training contract
1: um i mean i i actually did a vacation scheme so an internship with with Norton Rose Fulbright and I sat in their competition team. So to an extent, I, d- I did know that. I-, I would quite like to try a competition seat, but that is quite a niche department. So what is a, what
0: is that? What is a competition seat? For so people competition
1: is essentially the law of, of companies um, In when obviously they have, to be, they have to be competitive, they have to compete with each other. And for the market to work, that has to be the case. When they don't compete, so the usual example is when they start fixing their prices together, when they both when two companies, for example, come together and say, We're going to set our prices of bread this price, that's anti competitive because it takes the element of choice out of the market. So that's when the market fails. Um, so the law kind of gets involved and says, Okay, you, you can't do that. And for for companies on a I suppose day to day basis, whenever they're looking to to merge with each other, or they're looking to employ new technologies, even. Um, they need to kind of navigate the regulations to see okay, is what we're doing permitted? Is its it, is it anti competitive? Could it be construed as anti competitive? So it's, it's quite an interesting area. It's one I actually did my, my dissertation on it at York, but it is also quite a, a niche area. So it's a quite an oversubscribed one. So hopefully, I'll, I'll get the opportunity to, to do it, um, but on the other hand, potentially not. But I mean, I, I'm i currently sitting in a banking seat in, in project finance, and I did kind of know going in that that was at least in principle an area I would be interested in. As I say, it's, it's hard to know exactly before you go mm. into it, that there is an element of you kind of have to be thrown into the deep end to, to really appreciate it. Or not, as it might happen, <laughs> but I, I, I've enjoyed my ones. So I've been lucky so far. But yeah, it, there is always... You, have to have some idea and and to be honest when you're going into a firm you if you've done your research you you tend to know what kinds of things you're going to be faced with
0: talk us through a typical day for you are you because the sort of stereotype of commercial lawyer is full-on long hours particularly at the earlier stages in your career what's it like in reality
1: Definitely, at the moment, it's very different to mm. how it was during the internship, for example, in as far as I can roll out of bed to my, to my desk. So I suppose that does give me a half an hour lay-in. But I mean, it, it definitely is long hours, and it definitely is intense. But it, it, again, it swings and roundabouts. Um, for example, in November, I had a bit of a quiet, I won't say quiet, completely quiet, but it was quieter. Into December, January, this is for whatever reason it tends to be this department's busiest period so hours do tend to kind of stretch on a little bit longer and it's not a case of it's not nine to five in the sense of you have strict hours you, you just kind of work until the work gets done even if that is, you have to kind of be able to manage your own your own work and the deadlines and say okay i can finish here tonight and carry on the next morning or just like okay, i have to push through until until it gets done
0: how do you know, because that's a bit of a judgment call, right? Or is, is someone saying a hard deadline of, right, this has to be done by one o'clock in the morning tonight? <laughs> or do, can you kind of use your judgment of like, right, I've done as much as I can, I've concentrated as much as I can at the moment, or I've done as much as I need to do for today, I can pick it up again tomorrow. How, how do you know where to draw that line?
1: You, you tend to get most of your work from associates, and they say, look, I need to get back to this client at this point can you get it done for me by then usually with a bit of time between so they, they can actually review your work I, I do always find it quite amusing when a, when a lawyer says by close of business because mm-hmm. close of business for a law firm could be midnight um or, or later it, it's it, it is a judgment call i've i've had things where I, if i know that the client will need it the next morning you some, sometimes I do have to just quickly check what the time zone is, knowing that if they need it by the afternoon. For example, I had one where they needed everything done by 8pm Dubai time, which I think worked out at about 5pm our time. So I, I kind of had to figure out that was my hard deadline. But sometimes it is just a case of you speak to the associate who's given you the work and you say, look, I've, I've got X, Y, and Z happening at the same time, Can can I do this? for you first thing tomorrow morning or, or 12 o'clock tomorrow morning or noon tomorrow morning. And usually they're, they're pretty forward with saying, look, I need this by this time or yes, that's fine. You do do what you think is right. And so that way you can also figure out what how how important your tasks are. Oh, um, yeah, go on, sorry. I was just,
0: no, sorry. I was just going to ask, what sort of tasks might you be asked to do? What type of activities? I mean, there, there's there's a range and
1: it kind of escalates as you go through through your seat typical task right at the beginning was something called conditions precedent checklists which is basically just a tick boxing exercise of of documents as and when we get them through but they're they're really important because if you don't tick all of those boxes the, the client won't get the loan and that that is also actually a really good way of getting started as well because it gets you used to all of the documents mm. as you can probably imagine there are a lot of them for any given any given task uh, so it's a nice kind of entry into it and to be honest, I, I still do these checklists are kind of three, four months in and probably will be doing it throughout the, throughout my training contract. But kind of, as you, as you go along, you get more and more tasks. So there is, there is an element of kind of more day-to-day compiling documents and, and making sure everything's in order and everything's saved down properly on the system, but there's also a lot of drafting, especially kind of at, at this point in my seat, so I, I've been drafting letters and memos. And I mean, I've been drafting full contracts recently from from examples and from precedents. And that's kind of been a, a real eye-opener being thrown into the deep end and trying to understand how everything, how everything connects. I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a support mechanism in place. So you've got the associates who review your work before it goes out. But it, it, it does kind of escalate from kind of admin to substantive work. But I mean, everything is important and kind of if any piece were missing then just the whole the whole um, matter would probably fall to pieces just based on disorganisation.
0: It's interesting because it really highlights how getting your ducks in a row is so important <laughs> <laughs> and I I guess having sort of done the real ground level stuff and understanding those basic administrative tasks understanding those processes and what goes into them that's going to probably be really helpful in your future career when you're not no not involved in those kind of little details in any way but you know what is supposed to happen Um, and as you say if any of that is wrong it could throw the whole deal and cause a lot of problems
1: yeah i mean it it is process driven i mean i know for example that the cp checklists it Part of what i do is kind of looking at all of the emails coming through all of the documents coming through making sure they're saved in the right place making sure we've we've got up-to-date notes of okay we've got this and we need to review it or the other side of this so we can put that kind of on the back burner for now and obviously everybody in the in the matter will be relying on that on that checklist to know okay this is where we are this is what we need to chase on this is what we don't and i mean obviously the the partners won't who kind of have to have the Overall project management, they need to know these things, and they're not necessarily going to have the time or chance. The clients won't want them to, because obviously they they charge more to look at these things. So it, it kind of has to be for the for the trainee and kind of the, the lower level associates to to source out these things, and they are hugely important. Despite that, so there is a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Despite mm
0: you mentioned one kind of aspect of the pandemic is you can roll out of bed and you don't have to commute into work. Are there any other sort of differences? Um, I guess it's quite handy that you've had the internship to understand what it would be like under normal circumstances kind of thing. But is there anything else that you sort of feel is particularly different because of working remotely? Or can you basically crack on with it the same as if you were in an office?
1: One of the phrases that seems to go around is learning by osmosis, which is obviously a lot easier when you're in, in an office with your team. So you can not overhear conversations, but you're, you're kind of always exposed to all of everything that's going on. I suppose one of the challenges of, of the pandemic is you're not that exposed. Sometimes it does feel a little bit enclosed. You're in your own little bubble and doing tasks. And I know, for example, the NRF has always enjoyed a, an open door culture um, which obviously is quite difficult when nobody's actually in the office. But, I mean, everybody is quite open to just calling each other. To an extent, obviously, there's there's always pleasantries that get exchanged, but everybody's quite happy for you just to call them and say, look, I need some advice, I need some help on, on this task. Can you... Can you let me know or even just sending a, an instant message on skype to, to figure out what needs to be done so i mean it's very different to being in an office and being actually with it face to face with somebody but i mean it's definitely making the most of a bad situation and I mean, I'd, I'd definitely feel a lot more out of my depth if I didn't have that, that mechanism in place. Um, I, I still manage to talk to kind of the associates I'm working for with my suit, talk to my supervisor just whenever I need to, just through that, through instant messaging or through Skype calls.
0: So it sounds like whilst the work is kind of the same, it's more that environment and the culture. And for you as a trainee, as you say, picking up on the language and kind of the other elements of of being part of that law firm that is
1: is different yeah I mean it it, I don't think it will ever be the same in that sense but at the same time and it's something that's been noticed is when the office was more open it tended to be kind of the trainees and the kind of the associates who went into the office more which did work quite well in terms of you still get that exposure I mean it's not bustling but you get kind of an exposure to what's what's required At the end of the day, it's the the trainees and the associates you'll be working on a day-to-day basis with, whilst the partners are there kind of making sure everything's working at kind of a higher level. One of the other trainees during a a graduate recruitment event said something which really stuck with me is, if you want to learn day-to-day practical things, talk to the associates. If you want to learn kind of the higher level law or kind of commercial understandings, kind of that broader spectrum of of the project talk to the partners because that tends to be where their focus lies and uh, to me it's definitely true.
0: So you did your degree in law so you've been planning your career for a long time what was your starting point and where did your interest in law come from?
1: Well there's a question um you should, when when people first asked me this question, I was like, okay, well, I knew I wanted to do something vocational. I'm squeamish, so that was medicine out, and <laughs> I'm not very good at math, so that was engineering out. So that kind of left law. But to be honest, in in practice, I do I, I really like how how businesses and how kind of the markets work, but I don't think I'd actually want to be an entrepreneur or a businessman. I, I feel like that's I, I like to be in that environment, but Kind of giving advice on it not necessarily being kind of front and centre in it. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. No it
0: does um, and I, that's useful that you were able to be self-aware enough to recognise that whilst you were interested in it you perhaps didn't like the lack of job security and structure etc around you so I think that's a really kind of wise if you like observation to have had and probably at quite a young age if it was part of your reason for choosing law as a degree area
1: yeah I I think I always knew it was going to be kind of business corporate law as opposed to um, I suppose more more personal law in the sense of people I suppose it's I think it was just a case of how things connect obviously when you're working in and especially in project finance I've found is how kind of social aspects, economic aspects, financial, political, all of these things connect and are immediately relevant to the law and to the businesses and to your clients. And all of these things come together. And that's kind of what I enjoy seeing, how not only do you have to appreciate these things, but you have to kind of concentrate them into, into the contracts you're writing or the advice you're giving. I suppose I suppose it's an academic interest in one sense, but also it has very practical uses and ramifications. And I think that's that's what I enjoy. That's what I like seeing and exploring. And and then even when you're you're reading contracts or or documents and trying to give advice, you're having to interpret the interpret the advice you're giving based on these many interconnecting factors. And I suppose that that's what really struck an interest in in commercial law, uh, especially.
0: So you mentioned. You did an internship and I have done a little bit of LinkedIn stalking and seen that you did a lot of other kind of work experience, as well as holding down a part time job. I'm just wondering, how did these kind of experiences impact on your career, both in terms of that clarifying, yeah, that's definitely the way I want to go, but perhaps also in terms of some of the skills you developed?
1: I mean, in terms of legal work experience, it was definitely a process of... Figuring out what I liked, so to an extent, there's—I mean, there's a lot of choices that you kind of have to have to make. I mean, an an easy when I went into university, I thought, "Oh, I'll I'll definitely want to be a barrister," and I think almost as soon as I started kind of learning the law and kind of doing legal skills as a module, I figured out, actually, I (laughs) don't—I want to be a solicitor. And even then, there's there's a lot of kind of cultural differences. I mean, barristers aren't aren't employed in firms. For, for example so I, I knew kind of I wanted that more structured firm than than being essentially self-employed and then I mean there's other things like it, do you want to go into kind of commercial law or non-commercial law and I mean I already said that mm-hmm. that was a, a pretty easy choice for me um, I mean after that you even have choices like do you want to go in at, at an international level or a national level and all of these choices you kind of have to get a feel for them either through through internships or through link days which um the the law school offered or just talking to them at at careers events or just doing online research and kind of all of these things kind of narrowed quite a large pool of of potential options to to a select few and then kind of holding down a a part time job at the same time i I mean i always kind of said that my part-time job was kind of an escape from from academia for <laughs> one day a week, um, but it, I mean, even that was very useful, and I mean, it played no small part in my applications and interview processes. Of I understand because it, it was working in retail, so I understood how to how to talk to people, how to understand what they were looking for, understand what they wanted, understand what they could afford, and make advice and give advice based on that. And uh, I mean obviously there's a world of difference between selling suits and selling legal advice but the same interpersonal connection and kind of being able to read situations and read people and actually get along with them I suppose a professional capacity it is important and and I, I have no doubt in my mind that working in retail has helped me a lot in terms of where I am now.
0: Is that something that you talked about in interviews and applications at all?
1: Uh, absolutely um, i mean most if not all firms want to know i mean even situations in which you you've, you've um, met or surpassed targets or when you've had to uh, overcome challenges or just in generally how you get on with people retail is is definitely a great example of all of those things even just things like cross selling and upselling and downselling and all of that it, it in many ways uh, reflects how how firms work in terms of if they're giving you advice on one thing chances are they could probably give you advice on another somewhat connected thing kind of even as part of the same the same issue there's there's definitely similarities and it was definitely interesting to explore those connections when when writing applications that's
0: I think probably really reassuring for students though who haven't managed to get an internship because it can be really difficult to get on a vacation scheme or a formal internship with a law firm so the idea that you can kind of evaluate other experiences and that firms really decent firms are genuinely interested in those transferable skills but it sounds like it's you who has to be making those links and connections and exploring that you can't expect the employer to kind of infer oh yeah you you must be able to cross-sell etc For a law firm, if you can do it, for a suit firm, it's it's you that needs to sort of emphasise that and make it clear. And then kind of, it sounds like by doing the link days, insight days, chatting to people, as you say, that is also another valid way of getting those work-related experiences.
1: Obviously, the law itself and just working in an office, its not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. If you only do law-based career events or that kind of thing, you'll only ever have exposure to that. I think to an extent, it's it's very easy to get caught in that bubble. And you you kind of have to explore the real world Mm. outside of that, especially kind of those early stages before, before you're actually in the industry. It's definitely important to try and get exposure to that and get experience in that and then see how it connects and kind of helps your career moving forward
0: so it sounds like you really enjoy seeing the bigger picture seeing the connections between things and that law is giving you that opportunity to do that as well as drill down into details mm-hmm. um i'm wondering what's the worst bit of the job is it the hours is it something else what, what would you say is the sort of thing that is just you have to motivate yourself a little bit more for that
1: yeah i mean i suppose obviously the hours aren't, aren't fun. Um, and yeah, I, I think you are definitely right. I do enjoy the bigger picture. And I suppose sometimes on some tasks, you are kind of narrow focusing on, on the smaller admin things, which, and, and to be honest, technology and things are, are definitely moving us away from that so we, we do have document production teams who can do most of the uh, most of those things but you, you still end up having to do I don't know proofreading of, of long documents and just making sure clauses cross-reference properly between four five six documents and I mean it, it is hard to describe that as as fun but at the same time you you can also take that as an opportunity to figure out Okay, what do these things actually do? So you you can look at things in isolation and go, okay, I need to put this clause in there and make sure these things connect. But then you can also figure out why do these things connect. And most of the, and actually in my experience all of the time, if you write down some questions whilst you're doing it, and then when you submit it to the associate and go, look, I've done, everything should be fine now. I have some questions. Is it worth having a call on whenever's convenient? Or do you want me to write these in an email and we can discuss? They are very happy to to explain these things, and actually, a lot of the work I've gotten. Um, so I mean, I, I did some work for one of the associates early on, actually, on operation and maintenance contracts, and that was just a mechanical. Can you proofread this, and make sure it all works, which I did. And then from there, I've somehow. I say somehow. He clearly, it kind of showed I was I was paying attention to the work I was doing being engaged, even if it was kind of a more mundane task. And that's led to me seeing these these contracts through. So liaising with, with the client and with the other side to get these contracts out, seeing them signed and executed. I was I was in charge of writing the instructions for those and making sure everything was compiled. And then kind of carrying over into a, another task, where he said, look, we've got more more time to look at these. So based on what you've done and based on kind of discussions we've had and the questions you've asked, I want you to really focus on these because this, we're, we're at early stages in this in this matter. So you can take more time to ask questions, to apply what you've you've done in the previous one, and and see where the similarities and differences are. Because at this stage now you're you're getting to grips with this type of contract, and I mean that's that's applied to a lot of things. To be honest, even even stuff like uh, checkbooks. I mean, there was this one matter that was on right from the start, which they kept saying, oh, yeah, it's going to close soon. It will close soon. And it took forever to close. But then the, the associate I was working for went on holiday. So I ended up working from, directly for from my supervisor in another matter. And he said, look, you've, you've done these things before. So I'm going to put you in, essentially, in charge of, of corresponding with, with local council, with with the document checklists, with making sure these this, that, and the other are in order. And to an extent, that is Almost a, a trial by fire. You, you've gone through the shallow part, and now let's throw you into the deep end. But it also means you can really expand upon what you've been doing before. So, kind of mundane tasks do have kind of a direct lead up into into more. More exciting things essentially.
0: So it sounds like a way of motivating yourself to do those more mundane tasks is, is again seeing the bigger picture, how they fit in, but yep. also being quite proactive and not just kind of, oh, this is what you asked me to do. So this is what I've done. You are asking those questions, you're kind of showing interest, and then people are responding to that and saying, oh, right, okay, if you're interested, we can get you involved in this and we can get you involved in that. And, I think, you know, having spoken to employers in different sectors as well, I think it's it's the same in any situation. If you show an enthusiasm for something and you kind of ask those questions, people respond to that. If you do just the minimum what's been required of you uh, and don't kind of initiate anything it's quite easy to just fall under the radar and I think something you mentioned earlier is that idea of visibility in the physical office situation if you were kind of someone who was quite active in asking questions or you know they're early and staying late it's kind of like, oh that person's working hard or they t- they seem really keen actually you can show that enthusiasm and interest and keenness even when you're not physically there so that's I think a really
1: interesting point it's not only about starting early and ending late because mm, yeah anybody anybody can do that on on a mechanical task yeah it's just kind of taking that step forward and and actually asking because you could work that long on on whatever you could even work less time and still kind of be a bit more proactive with it and, and people do respond to, and kind of your the associates and partners do respond to that um and i say it does lead on to more things and and they more happily get you involved in things Mm -hmm. um so yeah and trust even now i i i did work for a group of two three four associates and then kind of when when i had quiet periods i could just message one of them and say look i've got some capacity do you have anything i can do and they are nine times out of ten like yes i've got something let me get you involved in it and get you up to speed with it. So there is definitely a a benefit to making yourself visible, making yourself available and proving you are interested in what you're doing.
0: So for students or recent graduates who are thinking about getting into law, what do you think are the key challenges gonna be for the sector over the next few years? Cause there's a lot going on, isn't there? So it's kind of um I don't know where you want to start with that, but just in terms of stuff that people should maybe start researching or thinking about, anticipating, what kind of skills might be useful to develop, anything that kind of springs to mind that would be a, a key issue for them?
1: In the long term, I don't think offices are going to be completely redundant. I, I think there is going to be more of a a switch to kind of a semi-virtual, semi-in-office culture. Based on what I've seen so far, I think it's mostly going to be kind of trainees and associates going into the office for the more, I suppose, day-to-day work, and it might be kind of senior associates, partners who are taking the opportunity to work from home because they don't necessarily need to be in all the time. And to an extent, that does fall under them looking for their own work-life balance, which I can completely understand. But I I think there is going to be this view of, we're not going to be back in the office full time. I mean, that's not based on any particular evidence, but it's just kind of the the trajectory we seem to be going on. I I suppose it, it is about trying to make yourself available, even when you're not there face to face. And that does require... That little step further in, in being a bit more proactive with with the tasks and kind of asking questions around what you what you're doing and how specifics work, because at the end of the day, for trainees we are there to be trained and to that that sounds very receptive, but we also have to kind of meet lawyers there halfway. We have to kind of suggest what we we want to we want to learn because the law and commercial law is so Broad, that it's impossible for them just to teach you everything. You you need to try and figure out okay what do you understand and what can't you understand and how do, how do you kind of approach people because you're you're there on the job. The other lawyers are doing their jobs. Um, they're not teachers whose, whose sole purpose is to is to kind of lecture or teach you as such. So I, I suppose it is learning to be proactive. And learning to form those relationships with with the people you work with, even if you're not in the office. And I mean, there's definitely a, a balance to be struck. You, you can't obviously be Skyping away every minute of the day. There is an element of you have to figure out for yourself how things work. And if you can't, then you write an email at the end or halfway through and say, look, this is where I'm at. This is what I need a bit of help with. Can we schedule a call or something along those lines and, and that they, they I mean people tend to be pretty responsive in, in at this point people are learning how to use Skype and email with a, a bit more frequency and so it, it is just a case of I'll give you a call in five ten minutes or, mm. or, or okay leave that point for now and we'll get back to it at the end but I, I suppose it is just that that focus on the little things you have to be more you have to be more flexible firstly it, it's it's not and to be honest, future generations will probably take this for granted, but we're the ones living through the change, so we, we, we need to take the most flexible approach with it. But yeah, be proactive with it. Try, try your best, and just essentially be the change.
0: So it's having that enthusiasm, that curiosity, but also that confidence to to ask questions, follow things up, and it sounds like also, as you point out, we are going through this massive period of change but yeah you're right change is always happening there's always world events so having that flexible attitude and being able to adapt to new technology or new and or new ways of working is really important so just to keep thinking about how perhaps students are doing that right now with adapting to studying online um, and how they've sort of managed that process um, and thinking about how they would perhaps do that in the workplace, how that's a useful learning skill um, or learning experience, sorry, for, for them if that was to happen in the future again. Or as you say, if we get into this hybrid model of in the future where we're sort of both part office based and part remote based at the same time. Anything else in terms of practical steps that you think students could do to sort of make themselves more employable because it is pretty competitive to get that foot in the door to get the training contract or whatever that version is going to look like with the sqe etc but to sort of get get a job let's say um within a law firm is there anything sort of now that you think would be worth them doing
1: talk to people um i mean i i know I've, i've spoken to a few people on on linkedin who have said look i i'm interested in I see you work in project finance. I'm interested in this area. Can we talk about it for a bit? And nine times out of 10, I'm just like, absolutely. I'm busy today, but we can have a chat tomorrow, or something like that. Yeah, and just kind of being being willing to make yourself available and to, to listen, I suppose, is the, the really important one. Because the, these things do, uh, the partner who interviewed me was in always in project finance. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to him over coffee at my, my vacation scheme and that in no small part influenced me when I said look I want to do project finance just because it sounded really interesting when when he spoke about it which mm. I wouldn't necessarily have gotten from just doing a Google search about it. I think to be honest the legal industry is one built on on personal connections and personal not in the um, nepotistic way but but in terms of learning from people and being available for them, listening to what they have to say. So i definitely say approach people, maybe virtually.
0: Did you, so with those LinkedIn approaches, did you have any kind of specific theme in common with them? Like you'd gone to the same university or you were from the same area or was it literally you had found, look, you're working in the type of area that I'm really keen on, please could we connect and have a chat it was there was kind of no other connection other than your interest in in their work
1: it was basically just i mean i think a few were just look i've got a friend who's who's interested do you mind if i if i introduce you obviously that's perfectly fine but i think if this person had just popped up on on linkedin said i'm interested then i happily jumped on anyway um it is just taking the interest i mean there's there's the assumption that lawyers love to talk about themselves <laughs> but that there is definitely a, a sense of look i've gone through where you are and i'm now in this position because i've spoke to people kind of one i suppose generation above or one cohort above and, and did exactly the same with them so it's almost my not my job but my privilege now I suppose to pass that on and then with the hopes of you'll do exactly the same when when you're in the industry Um, and I mean I don't know if everybody views it the same way but that's definitely how I tended to view it Um, and and I think that's always an important connection to make early in, in the career in terms of figuring out a what you want to do or don't want to do and be trying to figure out how you go about it.
0: It's funny because I think a lot of people are worried about kind of just randomly contacting and asking someone for help but the worst that can happen is they say no or they ignore you like that is literally the worst that can happen and the best that can happen is as you found it gives you a deeper understanding of the sector you're thinking about going into it could influence the choices you make and it might even lead to job or work experience opportunities so it really sounds like it's really worth have trying to build those connections with people and, and have those conversations um yeah. you know I mean, you're you're going to get like bombarded on linkedin now by people listening <laughs> yeah. to this podcast
1: i mean i, I suppose based on that and um, it, it, it was very obvious that at careers events because i, I volunteer to go to careers fairs and online events and to an extent you do get the normal questions just kind of the the generic ones of I mean sometimes you get some really out there ones like how much do you expect to get paid when you're made a partner those tend to be a Mm. no-no but and then you get the the usual ones of how many hours are you working etc. When you get a really personal ones where somebody hasn't just gone to this event or sent this LinkedIn message just off the cuff just because they can but they've actually thought about it, done some research beforehand, and then said, "Now is when." I, and actually, exactly as I said, once you're in the industry, you, you figure it out you figure out what you can first, and then you then you ask that that informed question. And and that's they really stand out on on LinkedIn in careers events, and, and definitely careers uh, the graduate recruitment definitely notice these these types of questions, and, and in my experience. People who ask those questions tend to be the ones who who get the jobs. Yeah, um, and just being a bit more informed, take, being a bit proactive with these things, and kind of almost proving they've been more proactive than just sending a message or, or asking a question, and they they really they really stand out and they make people want to want to hire them or help them or. or whatever it is.
0: Well, for more info about the careers we've mentioned today, I'm gonna add some relevant links to the episode description and a link to the full transcript of today's show. But I just want to say thank you so much, Alex, for giving up your time on your day off today. Uh, And for all that advice, it's been really, really useful um, and really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us this week on What Do You Actually Do? This episode was hosted by me, Kate Morris, edited by Stephen Furlong and produced by both of us. If you love this podcast, spread the word and follow us. Are you eager to get more tips? Follow University of York Careers and Placements on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. All useful links are in this episode's description. This has been produced at the University of York Careers and Placements. For more information, visit york.ac.uk forward slash careers.